Delaware County's premier podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave, everyone. I'm Dennis Zerl, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, bringing you the best melodrama productions in the entire United States, in the Shadow Designs, the place where your custom creations are made for all occasions, and Peak Washing LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. I don't know about any of you, but I've had a great week so far, and in spite of all the craziness going on in the world, did some driving this weekend. Went down to Buena Vista to do a little bit of soaking in those hot pots, and then uh, kind of decided to pop down to Salida for a uh, peek to see what was going on down there, because I've never been down there. I've been past there a bunch of times. Then we uh, followed the Magic GPS, which led us to a great drive over the top of the mountains, going down 50 and uh, 11 and back into Teller County the Arkansas River for a bit and it's uh, saw a bunch of rafters having a great time just a beautiful beautiful drive and if you haven't done that in a while I suggest that you do that because it's just nice to get away and see some of that beautiful Colorado terrain that we live in and you know what we are really lucky to be living in southern Colorado I really needed to get out there and that drive was just uh, it was just a ticket it was nice to just kind of cruise around and uh, yeah I didn't run into a lot of crazy drivers or anything like that like uh, you may see on a weekend coming through 24, but uh, highly recommended. Just give it a shot. And uh, pretty soon those leaves are going to be turning. So I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Anyway, today's lineup is pretty awesome as well. Michelle is back on the Bear Cave Hotline with story time today. So excited. Yay! So that's some good news. I was beginning to have some story time withdrawals, but we also have Catherine Nakai coming into the Bear Cave. Been a while since she's been in. I think it was last April during the uh, Woodland Park elections, the last time we uh, actually sat down and have a chat with her. So I'm looking forward to catching up and talking with her. Next week, we have local musician Carrie Dell coming in for a chat. And later on in the month, we have, of course, our title sponsor, Josh Dorsey from Abode Real Estate coming into the Bear Cave Hotline going to be interesting to see how the real estate market has been shifting around. I know it's been changing rapidly. And on the 20th, we have Woodland Park Police Chief Chris Deisler coming in, hopefully. I know he's a really busy guy and he's uh, agreed to spend a few minutes with us, but you never know. He's the chief and he's uh, he's always got something going on, but we have him scheduled. So that kind of gives you an idea about our guest list for the next few weeks that are either stopping in or coming into the Bear Cave hotline to chat for a while. So excited to have those folks coming in. Well, I guess some of the biggest news that's happened this week, there's a couple of really big stories, actually, but I think the biggest one that uh, we all know about is the Sniffy Joe student loan payout. It seems to be the hardest story going on at the moment. And, uh, well, the one thing you can say is that Sniffy made good on one of his uh, campaign promises or his handlers made good on it. And I am sure that you've heard about it nonstop. I'm not going to rehash the whole detail, but needless to say, it has further divided the country. If you've looked at the, the post on social media between left and right, which border on stupidity and just outright insulting, it's out of control. But what it did do, it rose sniffy in the polls a little bit. I read one poll, I think it was on MSN today, that said that at least 58% of the country is still not happy with the job that he's doing. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. I mean, everybody has their own agenda going on. It kind of depends on who you watch or what news stations you watch. I try to just avoid all of them myself. But anyway, last week, Sniffy canceled up to $20,000 in student debt 
for federal borrowers. So if you're one of these folks who have gone to maybe a private institution, you're still stuck with that loan and you're not going to be able to pay that back other than through your hard work and it's not going to be forgiven. And if you remember, even Skeletor Nasty Pelosi... She said just a few months ago that Sniffy doesn't have the authority to cancel student loans or student debt. So now the argument is, does Sniffy have the authority or doesn't he have the authority without congressional approval to implement that sweeping loan forgiveness? Well, what Skeletor said was, quote, he can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have the power. That is an act of Congress, end quote. That's her words. I would actually have to agree with her for a change. To me, it looks like it could be an illegal act by Sniffy for a political win. And by the time the show airs, he would have done a speech to the country. And I think it's coming from Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. It's going to be an, another impassioned speech about where the country's going and we should all be pulling together kind of thing. And if you noticed, every couple of years, either midterms or big elections, the fear mongering comes out. And the speech is about what's going to happen if the Republicans take charge, that they're going to get rid of voters' rights and all this other kind of nonsense. It always starts to emerge. So don't be surprised if we see some protests in the streets. Nevertheless, I'm guessing that he had his legal beagles talk and asking about his authority. You know, you may or may not know, his education and justice czars, they're making the argument that under the HEROES Act of 2003, they're saying that education secretary has the authority to waive or modify borrower student debt balances and anything that's in connection with a national emergency. Like, uh, COVID? Two years ago? Yeah, it's over. There is no national emergency at the moment. Although that the fear mongers are trying to make Monkeypox, one of those national emergencies, which just hasn't happened. Well, with that all being said, now here's another wrench. Back in 2003, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, I think it's how you say it. Anyway, kind of the rat face looking lady. She called the move 100% illegal. 100% illegal. Hmm. Well, I'm guessing that it's not over as I'm sure lawsuits are going to be flying. And when it hits the ultra conservative Supreme Court, do the math. Let's just say that uh, don't buy a new car yet because this may not fly. Again, the big argument is going to be whether Sniffy has the authority to do so or if it has to be a congressional decision to eliminate all that debt. It's yet another one of those issues where Democrats are saying it won't cost the public any money. Seriously? I mean, you people must think that the American people are really stupid. Of course, it's going to cost the taxpayer money. There's already been $100 billion of student loan debt erased because of COVID. And now during an out of control inflation rate, he comes up with this. I mean, if you think inflation is bad now, just wait. But the thing that really gets me, though, in all of this is why the White House refuses to explain who will pay for this $500 billion student handout. It's always deflected into one thing or another. And some of the things I hear from the uh, press secretary is it all depends on how many of the canceled loans were actually expected to be paid. What the hell? If you have a student loan right now and you're being forgiven between ten dollars and $20,000, you don't think that they're going to go online and apply for that? Boy. But nobody, nobody in the White House or on the uh, Democratic side has been able to give a straight answer as to where that money is coming from or who's going to pay for it. It's always this double talk about, well, the deficit's dropping, so we're going to use those monies that we would have saved and apply that to the student loans. That makes absolutely no sense. 
The bottom line is people get forgiven these debts and we, the taxpayer, are going to get saddled with the bill. Unbelievable. But you know what? I've got an idea for our elected officials. How about instead of increasing our debt by half a trillion dollars, quit spending money that you don't have and then telling the American people it won't cost you anything. Good Lord, stop it already. You know, I can't wait to get rid of some of these people. It can't happen fast enough for me. But then again, you know, who's going to take their place? I mean, you should be afraid. Be very afraid. But uh, yeah, I'm guessing the Donald ain't done yet either as he doubles down still with his stolen election idiocies. I mean, it just keeps going on. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where this all goes with him. And uh, I heard another interesting argument happen today, too. And that was, uh, well, the Donald is in trouble because, you know, he's hiding things. Everybody's still trying to make the comparison between him and Hillary and the computer. There's only one difference. And I, trust me, I am not a Hillary fan whatsoever. She gave up her computer. Now, she washed it before she gave it up, but she gave up the computer. And Donald was busted with, uh, you know, 12 to 15 boxes full of paperwork that he just decided to take with him when he left the White House. But I'm pretty sure they're hell-bent on going to any lengths to make sure that he gets indicted. And uh, who knows? I mean, there's a there may be a good chance that he does get indicted. But it won't be for espionage like I see people on the street corners with signs. I saw one in Woodland Park the other day. Guy standing on the street corner holding a sign. Indict Donald Trump for espionage. Yeah, well, good luck with that one. Anyway. Well, if you're kind of a space geek like I am, uh, everyone was looking forward to NASA launching the Artemis rocket. But instead, NASA scrubbed the launch of the Artemis 1 mega rocket to the moon, or going around the moon, I should say. The uncrewed mission that was going to be aimed to lift off on Monday, but uh, engineers could not sufficiently troubleshoot an engine issue during the filling of the rocket with propellants. And there were thousands of spectators that came from around the country to witness the launch, including Obama, our and she was supposed to deliver yet another one of those incoherent speeches after the launch. Like, isn't isn't space amazing? You know, stuff like that. I mean, that we just want to hurl. So the good thing is, is that we were at least spared that madness. But according to NASA, the mission leaders and the engineers, they're going to meet and discuss what their next steps are going to be. You know, honestly, I hope they just take their time, do it right, don't rush it. This mission has no astronauts on it, and it's a it's really a test flight. And it's supposed to usher in a new era of human space exploration, including eventually sending the first woman and the first person of color to the moon. I've known a couple of NASA engineers, and they were spot on with uh, the space shuttle and some of the missions being launched because of political pressure and so forth and so on. They're doing the right thing. Take your time. Get it right. This is the first test flight of this mega rocket, and it's going to be weeks long with its flight around the moon to test both the rocket and the Orion crew capsule. Now, the Orion crew capsule is where the astronauts will sit in future missions. The big test for the Orion is to make sure that this heat shield is going to survive that fiery reentry when it comes back into the Earth's atmosphere at, uh, I think it's 25,000 miles per hour. So that's going to be a big test for them. Apparently, one of the issues was a liquid hydrogen line that it didn't adequately chill one of the rocket's core engines, which is a big part of the preparations that's needed for ignition. Otherwise, if you have some kind of a sudden shrinkage from the temperature shock of the super cold propellant, it could crack some of the metal engine parts. So three of the four engines were working properly, but this one was not. And for some reason, this is so NASA. For some reason, they had not tested the cool down prior to the attempted launch. 
But NASA said they did the right thing as the new rocket costing billions of dollars is not going to fly until it's ready. So, you know, cooler heads prevailed. And if it doesn't launch on Friday, well, then it goes back to the VAB, which is the Vehicle Assembly Building. It's kind of a rocket garage, and most likely it'll be, you know, another month or two that they'll be behind before they launch it. But you know what? I think the right decision was made. I bet Elon was watching this really, really closely. But uh, anyway, I'm hoping that they get it all figured out, because this could be one of NASA's greatest summers in quite some time. Because remember, earlier, they launched the James Webb Telescope, which is coming back with some really spectacular photos and images from the cosmos. And it's actually making scientists kind of rethink the origins of the cosmos itself. But um, thanks to uh, NASA and good for you for making the right decision. Well, the last story that kind of caught my eye is really one that uh, is almost a news of the weird kind of story. But apparently two pilots from Air France have been suspended after getting into a fist fight in the cockpit of an Airbus A320 en route from Paris to Geneva. Okay. I can see it now. Here I am kind of chilling in my seat after takeoff and all of a sudden I hear all this rumbling and stuff going on on the flight deck. But uh, what happened was two pilots had to be separated by the cabin crew after a noisy fight was heard from the cabin and now the airline is being accused of tolerating a culture of breaking rules. Well, it all started when the first officer refused to follow instructions given to him by the captain shortly after takeoff. One pilot punched the other and then the two men grabbed each other by the collar and it escalated until one of the pilots allegedly threw a heavy clipboard at the other one's face. Well, that's a that's an awesome move. Well, by the time the cabin crew intervened and asked to be allowed into the flight decks, the pilots apparently had chilled out a little bit and cooled down. But one of the crew members stayed in the cabin until the plane safely landed in Geneva. I'm sure that they were worried that if they left to their own devices, those pilots would be duking it out again and another fight would break out in the cabin. Well, Air France has suspended the pilots saying that what had happened was totally inappropriate. You think? You're supposed to be flying the damn airplane. And Air France has been accused of fostering a culture of rule breaking by France's version of the FAA. They said that between 2017 and 2022, cavalier behavior and attitudes and mistakes from crew has increased, including, get this, one incident where fuel was being leaked from a jet engine onto the wing during a trip over Africa, but it was ignored. Ignored? I mean, the engine could have caught fire, and uh, all I can say is, viva la bear pile. When we come back, we'll be talking to Woodland Park City Council member Catherine Nakai, so don't go away. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. 
So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at csabode.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. Welcome back to the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zerl, and my guest this week is Woodland Park City Council member Catherine Nakai. Catherine, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been uh, since, I guess, April since you've been in the Bear Cave. Yeah, since before the election. Yeah, so kind of wrap up the election for me. I mean, it it kind of went uh, in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. we got a city council that seems like they're working together for the most part, right? Yeah, it's it's a whole lot more fun to go to meetings these days. We all get along. We don't agree, but we all get along. And we have disagreements all the time, on and off the dais, but we respect each other these days. And it's a calm meeting, which is nice. Well, that there isn't a lot of soapboxing and and uh, tons of pontificating. Pontificate is a big word for me, but uh, you know what I mean. This is not hours on hours on end about uh, delving into national politics. It seemed like that was the platform with some of the members before, and now it's kind of you know let's focus more on on what's happening in Woodland Park. Yeah, we've certainly come back to what what's important. I mean, national politics doesn't belong in local government. Yeah, I mean, unless it directly affects the community, but uh, correct. You know, Donald Trump having secret documents allegedly is not going to affect the cost of housing in Woodland Park, as far as I'm concerned. No, not at all. But there was a uh, there was kind of a big issue that that you guys had to saddle up with kind of early in the tenure, and that was the whole Karis PUD. And I've got to tell you, I was really proud of the of the council because you guys handle it professionally. There are definitely differences there of opinion from the audience. The audience was 80% Karis people for sure. Definitely. And in my view, there were a lot of rehearsed canned answers and they were well-trained before they got up there and spoke, which is which is no secret. It's no surprise at all. And uh, it was almost like they were defending King Andy, I'm going to say it anyway, because it wasn't an indictment of him. It was an indictment, wasn't even an indictment. It was, it was about a bad deal that was made. Correct. In my view, right? Correct. And only you and David voted against it. And uh, you stuck to your guns because we talked about that a little bit before. So why did you vote no? I voted no because fundamentally I had a problem with going against an agreement, whether you thought it was legal or not. You made the agreement and you should have stuck to your guns. Whether you liked it or not, 10 years later, not my fault. You know, and yeah, you had the First Amendment right to argue it. But was that really the correct thing to do? The correct thing to do was to support the community. The community already doesn't think you support the community. And all you did was just basically prove it. I thought that Hillary's comments were spot on. Hillary nailed it. It was awesome. I wanted to yell, you go, girl. (laughs) I I think, well, I was. I was just, of course, I was watching online, but uh, on Zoom. But uh, what got me was, uh, and and this is my opinion only. I don't speak for Trevor or Michelle or anybody else, but uh, it was such a staged kind of thing. And their lawyer, I can't remember his name. I I call him Wee Man. He acted so offended by reality that uh, he came up and he started making statements, you know, his kind of rebuttal, which were half truths. He talks about uh, veterans getting property tax breaks, talking about senior citizens getting property tax breaks. And that really wasn't true. I'm a veteran. I don't get a property tax break because I'm not 100% disabled. Or as a senior, I haven't lived here for 10 years, so I don't get a break. So the, the point that he was trying to make was all, it was all show. It was. And calling calling it illegal is 
Hillary and David both brought it up. If we sign prenups, I'm giving away my a right to a community property settlement for a prenup. I'm giving away that right. They gave away the right when they agreed to it. And I also don't care personally that if the guy that agreed to it 10 years ago didn't have the right to agree to it, they should have argued it back then. They let it ride until they needed the dorms. The way I look at it is that the day they signed that agreement before the ink was even dry, they knew it was a bad deal. Right. They knew that. They knew it was unforceable. They knew that it wasn't going to fly no matter what. And I got a bag on the city council back there. It's like, what were you thinking? Well, they obviously weren't. Or they were thinking that they would hold true to their agreement. You know, all they wanted was to be annexed into the city. And the only way that was going to happen was to agree to pay property taxes on the dorms. And that, uh, well, we know where that went. And yeah, to me, it's just like, I think it's a matter of time before you wait till the monies are in place or the timing is right, whatever, you know, going through COVID and, and all the nonsense that's happened in the last uh, decade or so. You had the time to do this five years ago. Right. You had the time to do it a year after you made the agreement. You, you know, the other issue I really t- had with it was it didn't just affect the city of Woodland Park. It affected five other taxing authorities. And the other thing I I really truly get so annoyed with is when they continue to say how much sales tax revenue they generate for the city of Woodland Park. Whether they do or not is irrelevant. I can't take that money and give it to Netco. I can't take that money and give it to Teller County. Right. I mean, we can't. That's not what the sales tax is for. So they don't seem to understand that taxes are not all equal, right? And they're so anti-tax. You say tax and they run. Yeah. With me, and I've, I've made this, this point numerous times is that I think churches should be taxed because churches are run like businesses. It's just it's just the way it is. You go to other countries and churches pay tax, you know, certain places in Europe, they pay taxes. That's that's just what they do. But that's my point. I think that, you know, if you're going to run a business, which you which you are, you're paying your employees, they pay taxes, then, you know, you should pay taxes as well. But uh, hey, that's just me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-Karis by any stretch. I don't necessarily agree with them. I don't like some of the things that have happened in town since they've come to town, but they bring, you know, they do bring benefit to the community going forward. I don't know. I mean, we're not going to get the property taxes. Well, where do you see it going from here? I mean, we're, we're kind of saddled with all this kind of stuff. You got to build the infrastructure and hire more people. In the meantime, we're stuck with the biggest 501c3 in the entire county. I don't have an answer. I mean, I really wish we could de-annex them, but we don't have the, they have to request to be de-annexed. Yeah, it's just, a, you know, it's all money. It is. I mean, at the bottom line, there were a number of reasons why I voted no, but one of the reasons was it's all about the money. And when that lawyer defended himself against Hillary, he proved it to me. When he was done, I was I was done. I was voting no at that point. My understanding was that at one point there was six hundred thousand dollars on the table. Now I don't know if that was an asking price. Straighten that out for me. I know two two fifty was the settled. Two fifty is a settled agreement. Um, we're in, in theory supposed to get the check next week. I think it was much higher than six hundred at one point. I mean, it started it started in the uh, million dollar range about a year ago when they started negotiating, and it just continued to go down. Well, when you think about the impact over the long term. 250000 That's to me, that's insulting, honestly. I mean, that's just, again, that's just my opinion. I would personally think it's insulting. I also think what's more insulting is that you're giving the city of Woodland Park $250,000, but you're not giving the other five districts anything. Yeah. The really hard part of this whole thing for all of us was that we knew the right thing to do was to, to not be sued, but we all wanted to call their bluff for the better lack of a word and make them sue the city to just prove that 
it's all about the money. But we can't we can't do a lawsuit because we will lose more than likely. Oh, no doubt. I mean, we just uh, we just lost and and not to the current city council's fault. We just lost sixty five grand to a frivolous lawsuit, in my opinion, that happened by a, the prior regime, so to speak. And that's why the prior regime isn't here for a whole lot of reasons. But that was one of them. Yeah, with Chief DeYoung and and uh, you know whoever else was in charge. It's way before my time, but it's like I was shocked to see that story just come up. And and the same person is suing two or three other cities for the, you know, basically the same kind of reasons. But the uh, point being is that we only have so much money in the coffers and to be saddled with uh, that kind of money and the entire county to support one organization is just a... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer, to be honest. I don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. Um, we'll have to, to figure something out, but Netco is the one that gets the uh, brunt of the loss. Yeah. I mean, everybody does, but Netco's the the big loser. Going to have to be a lot of pancake breakfasts. Spaghetti, spaghetti dinners. It's not going to be too long before everybody in the entire county is going to hate me <laughs> or hate the bear cave just because, yeah, I'm not really taking sides either. But uh, the thing that always gets me is when somebody says, well, we have a rebuttal. It's like, well, why do you think I have guests in here in the first place? You guys have already had your say and I'm bringing people in who haven't had their say. We're talking to those kinds of people. And it's like, I don't need to hear the rebuttal because nothing ever changes. You post it online every day and it's just, you know, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. But um, anyway, kind of moving on. Um, We've got the short term rental issue that's kind of a uh, kind of in the forefront of the city council, too. Right. Yeah, that's our next battle. And uh, how's that battle going? Um, It's going. I mean, I I think the uh, um, it's it's again, planning commission and city council have a uh, tough road to hoe because none of us really want to increase regulations if we don't have to. However, the citizens clearly want something um, in place. You know, some of them would like it to be banned. I don't think that's logical. I mean, I think we have to have some. I don't think it's realistic either. It's not realistic. I mean, there's there's a use for it. Um, it just doesn't, we don't need to become Breckenridge or Fort Lauderdale where 35 to 50% of our housing is short-term rentals. I think there's a market for it though. And I think we can hopefully control it so that the community doesn't become just a vacation mecca. I was surprised by the number of short-term rentals. It was 168 or something like that. that I don't know why that number comes to mind. Something like that. It's over, it's certainly over a hundred. Yeah. That was surprising to me. And that's the ones that we know of. There's a number that are being run quietly that are not on Airbnb or Facebook or where we can find them. I know Frank Connors is not a big fan. Uh, no, he would like to ban them entirely. <laughs> that's, that's for you, Frank. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I would, I would like to ban them, but it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. I mean, right. There is a use for it. And as such, we should just control it, regulate it to some extent. Like I said, I'm not a fan of regulation or adding it. I'm the one that removed regulations a few months back, but the citizens have their say. At what point are you now with the planning commission? Are you just kind of going through the the regulations? and? Yeah, we have a tentative ordinance written that will go before planning commission September 8th, I believe. Um, and then they'll have their crack at it and see how that goes. And depending on how it goes, they'll, they'll forward it to city council. We're pushing the moratorium date, but um, I don't think there's really anybody up there that wouldn't, you know, vote to extend it by a month. I mean, we don't need to extend it three to six months. We were just off probably a month to get it right. You're kind of in getting out of the, the whole tourist season anyway. And, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I guess, I mean, maybe into yeah. September when people come up to look at the leaves and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, but people ski. That's true. See, and that's kind of what blows my mind. It's like, um, I, I guess I was spoiled because I grew up, you know, between Durango and Salt Lake City and the ski resorts are a half an hour away. But I'm like, if I'm going to Breckenridge or any of the ski resorts, I'm still like an hour to two hours away and staying at Woodland Park. It's cheaper, right? Well, it's cheaper. And if you're skiing, say Monarch, there's really no 
Right. There's really no place to stay other than the Monarch Lodge. So it's, and it's an hour and 45 minutes to Monarch from here. What, uh, what other issues are kind of in the forefront of your mind? That's the budget season. So the second half of the year is always the budget. The, uh, to me, some of the exciting news is seeing that empty dirt pile and that lot be filled up with something with the Tava house. We have a ways to go, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited that somebody actually wants to purchase the land and try to develop it. I just think that uh, with all the banter going back and forth, and of course, this is a kind of a, more of a DDA issue and, and uh, you know, everything's kind of been reorganized a little bit. But uh, I think it was uh, Robert Zuluaga who kind of made a, an issue of it because they didn't follow Robert's rule of order, which to me is like, yeah, who cares? Are you going to develop it or are you not going to develop it? Is it going to be beneficial to the community? And as far as I'm concerned, it's an awesome idea. It is. It is. I'm hoping that it goes through all the way and they can get the uh, even get the housing built in there. Um, but right now, just getting some businesses developed would be great. Yeah, for a while, there were a lot of businesses that were closing, I think in Teller County in general, but mostly Woodland Park as well, because there's a lot of empty buildings and slowly but surely they're starting to open back up again. And I think having Tava House there is going to provide, A, uh, some good food, you know, a place to go and hang out, do whatever you're going to do. And it's going to build some competition. It's going to make everybody kind of up their game a little bit, in my view. Well, I'm really excited about the culinary school yeah. they want to put in there. Well, maybe you'll go and become a chef. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I, I don't know that it will bring competition per se, maybe to only the Swiss chalet. I mean, it's a higher end restaurant, but we'll see. Right. Well, it's something that's kind of needed. I mean, people have been talking about it for a while. Pretty much most of the restaurants in town are, are good, but there's not enough of them. But it's also difficult to build enough of them and survive the non-tourist season. So it's a catch-22. See, I'm really lucky because uh, the Bear Cave has a chef. Cave has a chef? Yeah. She just happens to work for uh, the state up in the Taylor County Courts area. Oh, your wife. <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be kind of a cool thing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And the, the rock climbing gym and there's a couple other things going on in there, which I think will be great because it will, it will bring tax revenue, which is great. We continue to grow. You know, that's the other issue. People keep wanting tax refunds and tax breaks, but as we grow, we have to bring in more revenue to bring in more services. Well, I don't think we're going to get any tax breaks anytime soon, thanks to Sniffy Joe. And we, we all just picked up a bunch of uh, debt. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm still paying off student loans for my wife's chefing school that are private that, you know, that there was no Pell Grant for that at all. So, so you don't qualify for the $10,000? No, not not even close. But uh, I, I don't think that issue's over yet either. I think uh, I think it's going to hit the Supreme Court sooner or later. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with um, forgiving a debt that you knew you signed up for. Whether you should have or shouldn't have is not my purview. You've put kids through school. I put a kid through school, yes. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't cheap and you, you gutted it up and you got it done. Because it was a state school, it was certainly less expensive than a private school, but it was still not, it was still a chunk of change. To me, it's a, it's a big issue because um, we forgave $100 billion of student loans already during COVID. And what they're doing is they're hanging on to the HEROES Act. Right. That's one national story, I guess, or decision that does impact our community. It does impact everything that we do because we're saddled with this, you know, trillions of dollars of debt. Yeah, you and me both. What's going to be in the future for you? Any aspirations of uh, looking at the mayor's position? We'll see. 
Not yet. See what happens, right? We'll see how the community goes. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think once Mayor Labar is done, she's done. Yes, I think she is. Yeah, she's she's had it. No more uh, making fun of her from the bear cave. Of course, she comes in here quite she a bit. She comes in and, and she's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, like I said, I think you guys are moving in the right direction. We don't see what's going on. The debates that are happening behind the curtain, so to speak. But, you know, that's, that's part of doing business. Correct. I mean, certainly on legislative stuff like the STRs. We don't discuss anything that's QJ until we're in front of the public. Honestly, you shouldn't. It's, it's really nobody's business as much as we want to, you know, pull back the curtain and see what's going on. As long as you handle business like adults, it's, that's all we can ask. Right. And I do love the fact our meetings have become short and business related and they're, they're done. I don't have to fly in a pizza anymore just to... Uh, no. And even the, even the Karis PUD meeting ended long before we thought it would. Yeah, that was a pretty long meeting. But, uh, and, and like I say, a lot of it was all kind of rehash, you know, same comments over and over again. But uh, when it got down to business, it was pretty quick. And then uh, the other meetings have been going like uh, less than a couple of hours. Yeah, I think the last meeting we were done before eight. Yeah, because uh, I was editing and I, I spaced it out and I thought, oh, you know, the city council meetings on it, I turned it on, it was like, you know, the, the blank screen was there. Yeah, it's already over. Yeah. And I told Travis, like, did you catch what was going on? He's like, uh, yeah, it's done. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, and that's what they're supposed to be. They're yeah. not supposed to be long drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of sucked. Wasn't into it. No. Try sitting up there. <laughs> Everybody's looking at you, just, uh, you know, tapping their fingers and wanting to get it over with. But uh, no, I think, I think it's awesome. You guys are moving in the right direction. What do you hope to see happening here in the next couple of years? I hope to see most of the road jobs, the roads finished. I know it's a pain in the butt right now, but the roads need to be fixed. We can't control 24, but we can control the other ones. So I was really happy to see Baldwin redone and we have to do Kelly's and there's a few more. I don't know uh, what they all are. Kip's, Kip's the guy, but I like to see the roads repaired. It was actually kind of painless because everybody kind of cooperated and knew that, you know, the roads were being repaired and, and you just kind of worked your way around it. And I didn't hear a lot of complaining about it at all. I didn't either um, for the most part. I mean, it, it's not pleasant if you live over off of uh, Skyline. You have to drive the long way, but I think they did a great job and they didn't close it on the weekends. Yeah. The end result is you got a really nice road right now that uh, hopefully will last for a little bit longer. Yeah. And it, we ended up having to spend more money on it because we continued to push the project out and the road got worse. So the sooner we can replace the uh, asphalt on the others, the better we will be. Yeah. I mean, our staff gets no recognition for what they do. They're amazing. I mean, they do it with less money they do it with less resources. Um, they're doing two, three jobs in some cases. Yeah. I'm going to go back to this question again. Uh, any kind of goals that uh, you personally have as far as either city council or anything else that you're looking at next little while? No, I mean, I just want to keep Woodland Park a great place to live. You have to pick your battles and try to do what's best for the community as a whole, which goes back to the whole regulations. I don't particularly care for it, but as a, the community wants it and it's the best for the community as a whole. I agree. Well, Catherine, I appreciate you coming into the Baird Cave. Thanks. And uh, yeah, we want to have you back from time to time because uh, you're kind of a cool person. We like having you around. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy the show. Appreciate it. Well, we've got some bills to pay, but when we come back and oh, this makes me so happy. It's story time with Michelle. Don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing? Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, 
musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttheater.com and come join in our fun. Into the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zerrell, and after a long, seems like a lifetime away, well, maybe it's only <laughs> a few weeks, it's story time with Michelle. Hey, Michelle, thank God you're back on the Bear Cave hotline. I'm, I, I don't know where to go. I, I was having like withdrawals, I think. <laughs> oh, it's been a rough go, you know, life changes and illnesses and all the good fun stuff. Well, so. we, we were thinking that you caught some kind of a trout flu or something like that in South Carolina, you know? Oh, I wish it was that. It was more like a serious, massive ear infection. <laughs> so I've been on medication and painkillers. So <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Well, that's good. That means you can run for city council. You know, you can. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they're not all on drugs. I'm just, I'm just making fun, but. <laughs> How was your vacation? Did you have fun? Actually, we did. It, the weather was really, I mean, considering we were in August in South Carolina, it was actually pretty mild. Really? That, uh, yeah, some pretty good rains that kept everything kind of chilled down. It was, we had a good time, really good time. Got the boat out, got some water time, fishing time. It was awesome. Instead of coming back with a t-shirt, you got an ear infection. I did. That's the only part that really, really sucked. Yeah, well, at least it's... <laughs> Was towards the end of your vacation, right? Yeah, it was actually when I came home. After I got home is when it really hit me. It was, well, it was Donkey Derby weekend is when it hit me. We were volunteering for that. And by the end of the day, I was literally on the couch in tears. So, uh, but that's all in the past. We we got to help out where we needed to be and we had a good vacation. The rest is history. Well, I didn't make it up there, but at least Trevor saw you and uh, said it was... Uh, yes, he did. You had a busy day, sounds like. It was slamming jamming. I mean, people were excited to be out. They were buying things. Uh, we were manning the beer tent. We busted a lot of beer out. So it was, the weather was spectacular. It was awesome. I know. I, I kind of felt bad about not going up there, but I was, I had some kind of a sinus thing going on. I can't remember why I didn't go up there, but uh, I'm making excuses and tap dancing. So that's, that's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's right. Well, anyway, you're back and that's all that matters this week. So what have you got for us? So I, we've been talking about, you know, Cripple Creek history, Victor history, and um, something that I like to tell people when they come in as visitors and kind of give them an idea is our railroad history is huge up here and people have no idea the significance of and i say railroad when we actually had three railroads that came up here wow so yeah so at the turn of the century the gold camp was served by three different railroads and two electric interurban systems as many as 58 passenger trains and you heard that right 58 passenger trains a day arrived at cripple creek stations hang on just a second did, did you say electric 
Well, I'll get to that. So we had three railroads and two interurban electric lines. So the interurban electric lines were more like commuter trains between here and the different cities around us. Oh. Um, the lo- closer locations. And they were kind of mostly for getting miners to and from work and things like that. But for the main railroads, we had three of them. And those, like I said, that was 58 passenger trains a day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, it is. So the district's first train arrived on July 1894. This was the narrow gauge Florence and Cripple Creek Railroad. It steamed up Phantom Canyon from Florence to Victor and then through Elkton and Anaconda to Cripple Creek, a climb of about 5,000 feet over 40 miles of steep winding grades. Can you imagine what that ride would have been like? Uh, long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're only going five miles though. It's taking us an hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was also known as the Gold Belt Line, the Florence and Cripple Creek ran three passenger trains a day each way on a daily schedule. Um, Business was good. The Florence and Cripple Creek paid for itself in the first year of its operation, and the line continued to run until 1912 when a flood in Phantom Canyon washed out much of the road. So that's just one of the railroads that came in. So the second railroad into the district was the Standard Gauge Midland Terminal. It served Cripple Creek for over half a century starting in December 1895. The Midland Terminal traveled up Ute Pass over the Colorado Midland Road from Colorado Springs to Divide. There, it struck off south into rugged mountains, uh, countries to Gillette. From there, it continued on to Cameron over 10,260-foot Victor Pass through Independence to Victor. Then it passed through Elkton and Anaconda before reaching the big three-story brick depot at the end of Bennett Avenue and Cripple Creek. You gotta imagine that was quite a ride too. I kind of go and check out those rural stations every now and then. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what was going on. This is, you know, when I first got up here and, and now it's all becoming clear to me. Yeah, yeah, see, it all works together. So that particular one was a 55-mile commute from Cripple Creek to Colorado Springs. And uh, the trip took a little over two hours and a round-trip coach ticket cost $2.50. Outrageous. I know, it's highly robbery right <laughs> yeah, I bet they didn't have any forgiveness like they do for student loans. <laughs> no, you got a ticket or you get off. <laughs> Just saying. So the Midland Terminal operated four trains a day to and from Cripple Creek. It was five years after the arrival of the Midland Terminal before the third line pushed up from Colorado Springs to the district. It was named the Colorado Springs and Cripple Creek District Railroad, but better known as the Short Line. Starting on April 12, 1901, it operated two passenger trains a day, each way over standard gauge tracks. This was the most direct and most scenic route into Cripple Creek area, for the short line headed right out of the hills from Colorado Springs for the district. Heralded from the start as a marvel of railroad engineering, the 45-mile line fast became one of the West's greatest tourist attractions, serving the district until 1920. Oh, that's a long time. That is a long time. So we talked briefly about the electric line. So the High Line Electric made a six-mile run between Cripple Creek and Victor by way of Midway and at one point it reached an elevation of 10,487 feet and then the low line electric also connected the camp's two big towns and served Elkton, Anaconda, Goldfield and Independence and trains ran every 30 minutes over this road 
the fare was five cents. Okay. <laughs> five cents. Five cents. So both of those ran until 1922. And after the railroads were dismantled, most of the old grades were converted into auto highways. So now you'll really recognize these. The Florence and Cripple Creek Road became Phantom Canyon. The Gold Camp Road was built over what had been the short line. And Conrad State Highway 67 uses several miles of the old Midland Terminal grades between Divide and Gillette. So those are three main roads that we still use today. And that's what those old trains used to travel on. You know, when you say 55 miles in two hours, that's actually, for that day, that's pretty efficient. It is. Because when you consider you've got to come up the pass and go through all that terrain, that's, that's pretty amazing. And they're running two a day, you know, so that's a lot of people coming in and out. Well, not only that, but if you have three railroads coming, that's a lot of competition as well. But it seems like every one of them kind of had their niche, I guess. Yeah, because the one like from Florence and that was a lot of ore was being processed down in Florence, Colorado. Hmm. And then same thing in Old Colorado City. Just even today, when you drive down Highway 24 and you look to the right side before you get to the 8th Street and you'll see that long stack up there on the right hand side. Have you noticed? Yes. Was that an old smelter? It it was an old processor. Yes. And it's still standing. And it's still standing. So there's your little pieces of history to look at. You know, it it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because uh, we said there were thousands of people who lived in that area at the time. I wonder how long that took to build. You know, it seems like they got things rolling super fast. Once they knew that, you know, there was definitely profit to make up here, they the rail lines are like, oh, let's get this rolling because we can make money, 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 money. And they did. Yeah, because once the gold rush, I guess, kind of started, there was so much money coming in. Then you've got goods and services and all kinds of For sure. you know, the butcher shops. And so it makes sense to, you know, you got electricians and put in a, a rail line. Absolutely. Like you said, it's efficient because think about putting everything on a wagon and trying to bring it up here from Colorado Springs or even from, you know, Florence area. Yeah, no way. Get out of here. <laughs> well, see, that's what kind of blows my mind, you know, even to this day, because... The, the more I learn about this area and the stories that you tell and the history that you bring into the Bear Cave, it kind of opens my eyes a little bit and I'm almost kind of envisioning all these people. I mean, that this must have been a crazy, crazy time and a place during that time period. Oh, absolutely. And people tend to forget, I mean, Cascade had its own little niche as far as summer homes and things like that. Right. There used to be two different huge hotels out in areas in Woodland Park that no longer exist because there were so many tourists coming up in this area at the time. That's amazing. And then it was gone in a blink of an eye. Oh, yeah. I know, right? It's like it was here and then it was gone. <laughs> You're right. Well, oh, I missed this story. See, this is why this is my oh. favorite part of the show because, uh, yeah, we missed you. I know. I know. I miss being in the bear cave. It's just life takes its little winds and turns and you got to go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, your seat's still here. We just, uh, you know, we just have it occupied every now and then. But um, anyway, well, what else is going on in uh, in the area. We're, we're kind of closing down to the summer, but I've got to yes. imagine that this is going to be a big weekend coming up. Well, this weekend, yeah, a lot of things are kind of shifting into the fall. So right now, um, like you guys had uh, Zach stand you on, was last week or the week before? Uh, yeah, a couple and, weeks ago. Um, the Butte is still going strong right now through September 17th. The Greater Tuna show is going on. He's throwing out some really cool deals. So go to their website, the theater.com and check it out and young frankenstein ha starts on september 30th young frankenstein yeah i am going to be in those seats <laughs> 
Maybe we can score some tickets from Zach for that one and we should all go together. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. So it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, Victor celebrates the arts is going on this weekend. That's a pretty big deal over there. We've got uh, music at the depot here in Cripple Creek going on. This is the last weekend to go see Fire Station number three. He's going to be open uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday from 11 to 5. Once that's over, we're shut down for the rest of the winter. We've got Packboro races coming up in September. Um, Mount Pisgah Speaks, which is a cemetery tour done by the Victorian Society coming up September 17th and 18th. It is a phenomenal tour talking about all our local residents that are buried there. And I'm talking famous people that are buried there. Totally cool. So that's definitely a thing you have to go see along with the Victorian Society too. This is the last weekend you can do their historical Charlie tour. And that takes you all through Cripple Creek and it tells you all about the different buildings and museums that we have here. So that's a totally great tour. Aspen Tours. Oh, Aspens are going to be changing. So September 24th, 25th, October 2nd and 3rd, I believe. It's Saturdays and Sundays. Come up here for the Aspen Tours. It also benefits the Two Mile High Club, our lovely donkeys. So you can't miss that. The Two Mile High Club, what they'll be doing is they'll be selling maps and kind of little goodie bags. And so it is a self-guided tour, but the map tells you exactly where you can and cannot go and different stops along the way to get the best viewing. I'm definitely going to check that out. And the last thing I want to talk about is the steampunk uh, event coming on, which is also September, I believe, 24th and 25th. That's over in Victor. If anybody made it up to the Gym and Rock show, it's going to be a little bit more of the same. They're going to bring up the Oddity show, but it's all going to be steampunk themed. There's going to be a parade, all sorts of different events and stuff going on all day long over in Victor. So this is going to be a really cool fall. We're excited. I went up to that show. To me, the whole Oddities thing and the steampunk thing is really cool. I, I like it. And Absolutely. There were at least double the amount of people that were there this year than there were last year for the gem show. I'm not saying that the gem show wasn't a, a fun thing to go to. It's just that it kind of adds another element for people that are coming up there. And uh, oh, for sure, I think it's going to be a good show. I think so too. So, I mean, if you can't find something up here to do in the next few weeks, then uh, you've missed every cool thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Stay home in your basement and just get ready for the winter time and get angry again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Michelle, it's great to have you back again, and uh, hopefully you're on the mend. And um, yeah, if we're really, really lucky and we're good, we say our prayers, you'll be back next week. Love to be there. Absolutely. Okay, Michelle, take care, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Okay, bye. All right, that was our favorite person in the Barrett Cave, Michelle Roselle, coming to you from the Heritage Center, talking about all the good things and cool stuff that's happening up here in Teller County. So up next, it's our field producer, Trevor Phipps, with the local news and happenings. So grab yourself a cup of joe or your favorite beverage and come on back. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution, and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran-owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 
or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. Cave, and it's time for a chat with our friend and fuel producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, how are you, man? Good. How are you today? Doing pretty well. Uh, it's kind of been a weird week. There's some interesting stuff going on, and I think we now have the result of the school board recall, right? Yeah, that actually came out. Um, I got about 4.30 yesterday afternoon. The official results came in. You sent me a copy, and I've kind of got it in front of me right here. And I'm, I'm looking at things, and uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it was fairly close, but there are, in one case, 400 signatures rejected, another 386 signatures rejected. So that's that's kind of a telling sign right there, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I guess I've never really seen this before, but I thought it was interesting that they actually tallied up and got the information exactly why each signature was rejected. And, and whereas there's some reasons that were more popular than others, I guess, but it was kind of all across the board, I thought. Yeah, it was. Well, it's like names not found. In one case, there was 130 or there were, I mean, just to the number of rejected signatures for every in every case sign or not in district and names not found were pretty much the two common yeah and it's kind of indicative what's been happening during recalls in the west like in los angeles for example there was a huge recall for the uh district attorney george gascon and they were 200,000 signatures short because the same reasons. Either people didn't live in the state or they weren't registered voters or whatever the case may be. Another thing I thought was interesting was there is like 51 on one and 66 on the other that was signatures do not match. So basically the county clerk is tasked with actually matching the signature on the petition to the signature that's on file on everyone's driver's license. So I guess there is, you know, 50 to 60 people that the signatures didn't match the driver's license signature. I don't know, like some people might scribble on their driver's license thing and not necessarily have the same signature they use. I don't know, but that's the law. Well, I'm signing for my grandma. She really wants this to happen. Right? Yeah, Yeah, I guess that that could be it too, or it could just, I don't know, it could be innocent or it could be malicious, I guess. Well, because this has been such a hotly contested issue, at some point you get desperate and you try to get as many signatures as you can, but then you kind of have to rely on the people who are gathering the signatures to actually look at the document and go, wait a minute, you're from Kansas. You can't sign this kind of thing. And it seems like there's a lot of that that happened. Yeah, I don't know, but it's it's typical though, from what I've heard, most of the people that have, I've been, talked to about this, they say in normal recalls, you actually need 200% of the signatures that you need, which is double. So it's, it's actually pretty common that recall efforts will have quite a bit of signatures that get rejected. For example, in this case, they would have needed close to 6,000 instead of close to 3,000. Well, it's kind of what we've been saying all along, though. I mean, since day one, we've been saying that, you know, they're going to have to get a lot of signatures in order to make this work. But uh, so I, apparently, I guess now they have five days before it's a done deal so they can go to the district court and appeal it if they want. But I just don't see that happening. Do you? No, I mean, there's too many reasons as to why they were rejected. I almost feel like if 
there was more, higher percentage of one common reason, then maybe there would be an argument to try to appeal the process because maybe they're just like, oh, well, they're just not counting this tight. Like if you'd have to be able to prove some sort of discrimination or some sort of error made by the county or something. But to me, looking at this, when all the reasons that they were rejected, there's like 10 of them and there's numbers in each category, then I just think that would be hard to contest. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and the numbers aren't like they're spiking anywhere. They're pretty even across the board. So you may have a, you know, 130 signatures here and then 126 on the other candidate, but they're pretty even across the board. There's, I don't see any kind of, like you say, discrepancies at all. Yeah. They had a long time to do the process, and I, I know for a fact that they worked on it pretty much every day since petitions were turned in up to their deadline. So I, I think they did their due diligence and their homework. To me, now it's kind of a done deal. There's really no other place to go other than... I don't know. There's still going to be a bunch of angry people and there's still some divisiveness that's going to go on. I'm sure there will be more headbutting going forward. But at this point now, I think it's all about, look, you know, move forward, get over it, get on with the business of teaching kids and keeping them in the forefront, you know? Yeah. The only thing I'm I'm kind of concerned about or I'm wondering to see if will happen is if the enrollment numbers will start to decline even more if people are going to start pulling their kids out of the district, go somewhere else, which would be kind of ironic because that's the new school board members came about that was pretty much their one of their big things on their campaign was that they were trying to counteract declining enrollment numbers exactly that was part of the reason why they brought merit into the district so if due to their actions it starts declining even more i don't know what's going to happen then maybe they should start cracking beers at the meetings and just uh you know making nice nice with everybody i don't know but <laughs> You got to put your differences aside at some point. It's just not beneficial to the community. It's certainly not beneficial to the children. And uh, why is it always the adults that are nuts? Speaking of nuts, there was a huge drug bust and you happen to be one of the very first people kind of uh, reporting on all this. What what went down in our in our favorite place in Florissant? Yeah. Yep. Florissant strikes again. <laughs> well, I got a call, I guess it was last Tuesday, I got a call from the sheriff's office and came in there and he, he let me ask him some questions about the big bust that they had like over the previous week. I think it was between August 16th and August 21st. The initial report was that they had tips that there was a guy kind of off of Teller One over by Evergreen Station, like on the very south side of Florida. I guess he was selling drugs out of his property. So they went there and they found a, a bunch of marijuana, fentanyl pills, stolen vehicles, and some people kind of just living on his land and RVs and other stuff. And then um, the investigation there led the sheriff's office to two other properties kind of scattered around Florissant. They went to another property and found more drugs and more people sleeping out in another trash out house that's got a bunch of drunk cars in it and just trash. And then they went to a third property and they found like two stolen motorcycles and they ended up arresting a total of nine people. And a lot of them were on warrants. One of them was an unregistered sex offender. Oh, great. Probably about half of them that were implicated in stolen vehicles, uh, selling drugs. I looked last week and there was about half of them had bonded out and half of them were still in jail. I think it was about four and four. Sounds kind of like a tweaker Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. I know. I went out there to take pictures at the property and they're one of the houses. It was like there's more people out there living in their cars. It looked like they were living in their cars because there's stuff stacked up in them. And it's kind of surreal because when you come through all these beautiful ranch properties and all this gorgeous terrain, all of a sudden you just run into just the outskirts of Florissant. 
and you run into all this garbage and stuff like that. So I think the sheriff also mentioned that you're going to start making people clean all that kind of stuff up. Yeah, there's actually um, one of the things they've been talking about at county commissioner meetings lately is that they're trying to redraft some ordinances for trash and junk cars on the property. So they have a reason to kind of help crack down on some of this. And I think the sheriff was saying how that sometimes, not all times, but there is at times a correlation between illegal activity and trash and junk being in people's yards. I'm all in favor of it because uh, we live in this amazing place. And the last thing you want to see, you know, when you're driving through this beautiful part of the country, you run into this junk heap and just, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. Right. What was your initial impression when you were driving around? That has to be a little bit uncomfortable driving through that kind of terrain. One of the properties was way out in like Wilson Lake. You'll be driving by this pretty mountain lake and then there will be a nice house and then there will be a house or a trailer older that's just covered in trash and property and has weird looking people hanging out there. <laughs> and, and when you're all the way out in the sticks like that with no cell service. Yeah. Got to make sure you got a full magazine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, kind of give you an idea of the amount of drugs and things that were seized. There was like 167 fentanyl pills caught, 30 pounds of marijuana seized, and then they seized a bunch of other prescription pills ranging from morphine, hydrocodone, and then they caught a little bit of methamphetamines too. I'm betting the methamphetamine was probably personally used by, you know, I'm being judgmental just by seeing the pictures of some of these people, but I'm guessing that's what it was. Yeah, they, that was the smallest amount of anything that they caught, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, that was a personal stash. But uh, the fentanyl is what just bothers me. I guess that's what you're going to do if you're kind of isolating. You're the, you've been the local drug dealer for the last 20 years. But the fentanyl, that's the thing that just uh, really, really bothers me because that stuff is literally killing people. Well, good for the sheriff. I've been hearing that there might be more to come too. Well, you know what? If they're going to eradicate all that kind of stuff, I say good for them. You know, good for you guys. I, there's no secret the Barricade we back the blue and we always will. But uh, getting rid of that kind of crap out of our community is definitely a good cause. So keep up the good work. That's what I say. You know, and I think a lot of people, they've been, they read on the news, the fentanyl problem, but they, they see it as more of like an inner city problem. But kind of goes to show what the sheriff and the, the park police chief, Chris Deisler, have been saying for the last month or two that it is here and we have had problems with it. And then we will continue to have problems with it. And that's why the sheriff and chief Woodland Park have said that they're working together to start cracking down on fentanyl. Like I say, keep doing that thing that you do. Let's uh, talk a little bit of high school sports. I did catch some of the uh, softball scores and it wasn't in Woodland Park's favor. Yeah, I guess when I talked to the softball coach, they started out the season playing, I think, like 3A or 4A teams out of their league. So they kind of jumped right in their schedule with playing bigger schools. The new coach this year, and he likes what he's seeing from the girls and he's seeing improvements all the time. So he's hopeful for once they start playing teams more their caliber, it's hopeful for what that'll happen. The golf team has had a pretty good start so far. TJ McAfee, they had their first league tournament last week and he took first place in the individual and shot a 74. Oh, right on. He's got a personal best. All three of the meets they've done this year so far went from like 81 to 75 and then 74. That's my score on the first five holes. <laughs> yeah. The golf team won their league last year, so they're right now they're five straight 
strokes behind Salida in second place. So they're looking to win their league. And then uh, TJ is hoping to win individual for the league and make state. Yeah, good for him. How about uh, our Panther football team? Looks like they had uh, kind of a rough go, but not as bad as it could have been, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, they lost on the road to Summit High School, um, 17 to nothing. But gotta remember, Summit High School is a 3A playoff team, whereas Woodland Park's a 2A team that hasn't made the playoffs in a while. And Summit also has a, a pretty awesome quarterback that has already signed with a D1 school to start his senior year. So I think it's a good thing that they were able to limit a top-notch quarterback like that to only 17 points. And when I was looking at the box score, they kept him to a field goal in the first half. At halftime, it was 3 to nothing, And then Summit scored a touchdown in the third and touchdown in the fourth. So they looked like they kind of made him fight for their scores that they did get. Probably going to need to improve on offense because no coach wants to open the season with zero points and getting shut out. Well, you know, as long as they're remaining competitive to a team that's you know maybe a little bit bigger, and I guess you can call it a, a step in the right direction for sure. Well, speaking of fall sports, too, our uh, Rocky Mountain vibes. I would have never guessed that they would be fighting for a playoff spot in the second half of the season. And uh, you and I went last week, and it's like, hey, what's going on, man? These guys are winning by a large margin. But they've been uh, keeping it together, and they won the series against Ogden, which hasn't happened to my knowledge this whole season. So they're they're doing pretty well. It's exciting. Well, did you see, I think it was last weekend, too, that they broke their attendance record for the season with, like, almost 6,000 people in attendance. It's like 5,900. I saw that. That was amazing. That's pretty impressive, because remember, we talked to Kay, and she said Fourth of July weekend for them usually sells out. But for them to get a record-breaking sellout game this late in the season after school started, that means to me that people are excited about the season or excited that they're winning games and they're going out to see them more than they were last year or earlier in the season. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I know we're going to catch a couple more games because I think there's maybe six more home games left and it's not too late to go out there and cheer them on. I think what really helped them was renegotiating that contract and getting it so they had more of a diverse pool of players than what they'd had before. Yeah, I agree. And I also got to hand it to Kay Goodell and also the front office. They've done some great changes this year. And you can tell because the attendance has gone up. There's all kinds of good activities going on. And uh, we'll probably be talking to her sometime next week. But uh, until then, we got a couple more games that we can catch and hopefully they'll make the playoffs. Yeah, it should be interesting to watch. I know right now they're a game up on the Ogden Raptors. So hopefully they can keep the momentum up and uh, and we'll go to a playoff. That'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right, Trevor, I appreciate it. And uh, I'll let you get back to that writing desk because I know you're a busy man. So uh, I'll talk to you very soon. All right. Well, thank you. You have a good day. All right, Trevor, you too. Thanks a bunch. All right, that was our field producer, Trevor Phipps, coming in to the Bear Cave hotline today. And uh, before we go to a break, I've got a couple of local announcements that I said I would do for uh, our boys from the American Legion. The local American Legion Post 1980, they have Flags for Schools program coming up, and they will present a new American flag to three schools in the Woodland Park School District. And they're going to Columbine Elementary, Wednesday, September 7th at 8.30, Summit Elementary at 8 a.m. Wednesday, September 14th and Gateway Elementary at 845, which is a Thursday on September 15th and the public is invited to see all those presentations. Also, Post 1980, along with VFW Post 6051, I believe, will perform a memorial ceremony on September 11th at the Lions Park in Woodland Park and that is commemorating the efforts and sacrifices of our first responders who charged into that catastrophe, risking danger to save human lives and to also help the other survivors. And that's 
ceremony begins at 9 a.m. on Sunday, September 11th, and the public is encouraged to attend. Up next, it's News of the Weird and find out who gets tossed in the bear pile this week. And in the words of E.T., he'll be right here. Do you have an upcoming special event and don't know what to do? In the Shadow Designs can create one-of-a-kind pieces for you. Located in the heart of Woodland Park, Colorado, In the Shadow Designs specializes in beautiful centerpieces, wreaths, and one-of-a-kind creations for your home or business. Whether it's a baby shower, celebration of life, anniversary, or corporate event, let In the Shadow Designs meet your needs. So contact In the Shadow Designs today on their Facebook page or give them a call at 818-400-1456. Let In the Shadow Designs do the work for you so you don't have to. Cave, and I'm your host, Dennis Zero, and now it is time for News of the Weird. You know, sometimes when we look up these stories, it never ceases to amaze me. But anyway, the headline reads this week, Man Pins Girlfriend to Bus with Forklift. Yep, I said forklift. Man, I, I wish there was some video of this. But anyway, apparently a Florida man is arrested after he used a forklift to pin his girlfriend to a bus to stop her from leaving after they had an argument. Okay. On Sunday, July 15th, a 67-year-old man by the name of Colin Lee Showard has been accused of driving a forklift towards his girlfriend who was sitting in a car, pinning her to the side of the bus. Okay. Forklift, bus, Where do you get the forklift from? It it, it doesn't say, but uh, wow. According to the arrest affidavit, the incident occurred on the 2100 block of Calumet Street in Clearwater, Florida. Apparently, Sherwood was arguing with a woman who was trying to leave. The situation escalated when Colin got into a forklift and rammed the vehicle into the car his girlfriend was sitting in, pinning her to a bus. How do you even time that kind of thing? Well, the Clearwater police were alerted to the scene. The girlfriend suffered back injuries after the vehicle collision and was taken to the hospital. The police questioned Colin as to why he rammed his girlfriend. Colin admitted that he did it because he didn't want the woman to leave. What? Okay. Colin Lee Sherwood was arrested and charged with aggravated battery, and he was booked into the Pinellas County Jail on a $10,000 bond and has since been released. Holy smokes. Uh, what happened to uh, talking about it or hugging it out or, or whatever? Look, dude, you're a 67-year-old man and you're trying to control your girlfriend and not get her to leave, so yeah, he does what everybody else would do. Grab a forklift, ram the car into a bus, and just keep her there. Boy, some weird things happening down those retirement communities in Florida. But, uh, well, one thing I can say is that there are plenty of candidates this week for the bear pile. Each week, we nominate the top events and or people who should be tossed on the bear pile and eaten by the bears. 
This week, the person and or thing being thrown onto the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... Alex Jones for being a compulsive liar and trying to backtrack on his stories in front of a judge by... Lying. Yep, that was kind of a no-brainer. The nominations this week are... Number one, Sniffy Joe and the Dumbocratic Party for fleecing the American people yet once again and awarding those who don't want to pay their bills. Yeah, just give us that debt. No worries. Number two, the two pilots from Air France for deciding to have a fist fight while in flight because the pastry wasn't hot or, yeah, whatever. Yeah, never mind the passengers. Nah, they'll be just fine. Yeah, And number three, Colin Lee Showard for having mommy issues and driving his forklift into his girlfriend's car. Y'all still wondering where that forklift came from? I, I don't know. I'm guessing your retirement isn't working out so well for you right now, Colin, but uh, well, maybe get a part-time job. But uh, not as a forklift driver. It's not really working out for you so well. Well, that's it for me this week. As always, thanks for joining me, and I hope you had a great time. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, the Historic Butte Theater, In the Shadow Designs, and Peak Washing, LLC. Thanks to our guests this week, Woodland Park City Council member Catherine Nakai for coming into the Bear Cave. It's been a while since we've talked to you. And, of course, Michelle Roselle for bringing us story time this week. So happy about that. Really miss that kind of stuff. Thanks, as always, to our field producer, Trevor Phipps. If you have an event coming up or you want to become a sponsor of the show, just hit us up on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. You can access the show on Spotify, Podbean, and Anchor by Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And, as always, your hate mail can be sent to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. Our guest next week is going to be the first officer from Air France, Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> I want to know when he comes back to work, what uh, airline he's going to be working for, or even if he ever does. And if he does, find out which airline that is and make sure you don't take one of those flights. Alex Jones was supposed to come into the barricade, but he was too busy trying to woo Mike the Pillow Guy for cash. Hey, why not? It worked for Tina Peters. Talk to you next week, everyone. Be well and thanks for listening. Sweet Dream Salmon Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. <laughs> <laughs>